Hey Danny, Kiora, how are things down under? <laughs> Not too bad, and how are you? Way up in the UK. Yeah, it's early morning here, the light hasn't even come up as we head towards winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, well it's a beautiful afternoon here, so I'm sorry to tell you about that. <laughs> Now, we oh, are I'm here. pleased to be here with you all. I'm very pleased to be here it's, with you all. It's very exciting. Now, welcome everyone to the 2021 Naya, Naya Awards. I'm Danny B from the Words and Nerds podcast, and we have Craig Sisterson joining us. Kira and hi, my everyone. It's absolutely lovely to be here with you. Every year I get to watch along at the Nios as they happen at Word Christchurch. Some amazing events that happen there every year, and I get to watch along on Twitter and stuff, so it's kind of strange for me to actually be involved for one. <laughs> well, it's fantastic. You've done heaps of work. But what we're going to do, we're going to have four panels. We're going to speak to all the people who are waiting in the waiting room, and then we're going to announce the winners. So it's a pretty exciting night. Yeah, we've got um, about 20 people joining us, so hopefully everything goes well. <laughs> Those of you watching, whether you're in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, the US, I think we have some people in California maybe watching as well. Whoever's watching, just bear with us. It's going to be a really fun night, but we have a lot of things happening, 20 people joining us awards to give out there may be some delays or tech glitches but we'll have a good time so well if it's if, there, if there's no glitches craig is it even a zoom meeting well that's true it's not it's not an <laughs> online not, event if there's nothing not, goes wrong not. but the main thing is we'll get to speak to some amazing authors and we'll get to announce the winners and hopefully our videos of our special guests will work so at the end of the day it's going to be amazing so you know what i'm going to do i'm going to let in the authors from the waiting room and those people who are part of panel one the uh, YAN kids, they're going to turn their cameras on, right? So let's do this. Are you ready, Craig? I'm absolutely ready. So this first panel for everyone, yeah, we've got our first ever Best Kids YA Book Award. The first time we've done that was the Naya Marsh Awards, and it's absolutely brilliant to have everyone here. Um, yeah, so if we could have Brian, Eileen, Glenn, and Des turn their videos and audio on. If we have other authors who are here early, feel free to leave <laughs> they, your videos on. They, they just have to wait. It's like coming on the virtual stage, right? So when, when you're here, yeah. you, you, you... So uh, there's Glenn and... So... Welcome. So we've nearly got everyone. Hi. I know Des was Ma here. Marvin and Bruce are here early. They're very keen for their true crime category. <laughs> <laughs> so if they perhaps turn their audios and video off, that would be cool. And we'll get and cracking, and I'm sure Des will show up when, um, you know, there's always problems with Wi-Fi and stuff, so I'm sure he'll show up, and that's fine. But congratulations, everyone, and thank you for coming on and, and giving us your time this evening. It's really exciting. How yep. are you, Glenn? Yep, good, thank you. Excellent. And uh, Eileen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yep. Got some two beautiful bookshelves behind you and Brian. Good to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how are you oh, feeling, those, Brian? Those guys aren't wearing their headphones. <laughs> oh, they're Bluetooth and they keep connecting up to everyone else's device in the house, so I'm not oh, trusting them. Oh, no, yeah. it, it works fine. This is Bluetooth to London and back. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I had... I had mine on earlier, and uh, the video, you couldn't hear the sound on the video. So I had yeah. to take them out, so the video is down It's yeah. funny, it's I the met... trusty laptop. It's fine. It's good. It's fine. <laughs> I met people in real life that I'd only podcasted with, and they said, you look really strange without your headphones on. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> attached to my head. Now, Des has joined us, so Des will come on um, when he's ready, but I've just admitted him from the waiting room. But we wanted to talk. I mean, this is a really exciting category. It's the first time that this one has been up. So I want to ask you, and I'll ask you individually so we don't talk over each other, and we'll start with you, Glenn, but what do you need to consider when writing in this particular genre for kids and young people? 
Um, to be honest, I just look for a good story and write as I would for adults, but possibly without the seat. <laughs> you know, it's, I find that so funny. People always go, oh, with crime. No, you keep the killing and you keep the death. You just take the sex out. You leave the swearing, you leave the murder, you just take the sex out. How funny oh, is that? <laughs> Maybe leave a little bit in. <laughs> All right, so hot tips from Glenn. Make hot tips. Keep in the murder, but make sure you yep. just get rid of the sex. Hashing's allowed? Look, I think it's the same as anything. You just need a good story. You've got to capture them early. Yeah. And you've got to hold them throughout the book. And that's, I think, the secret of any sort of writing, really. Mm, I love that. No, it's absolutely true. What about you, Aileen? Um, um, yeah, I didn't obey the sex and swearing rule, unfortunately. Oh, so good. it's all there. It's all there. But, um, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. I, I, think, I think just a really good pace and some good foreshadowing without giving too much away and just having, knowing what went on, you know, because you've got to know what happens yeah. in that crucial scene. So, um but otherwise, just go for it. Have fun. Fantastic. I, I love that we're prepping these young people to love crime. You know, they'll all be yeah, like yeah. us when they grow up. So it's good to get them in young. Hi, Des. Welcome. I'll ask you that question again. So I know you've just joined us. But, Brian, when you're writing for this genre, what do you consider when writing for kids, you know, when you're writing crime? Yeah, well, all of the, the things that we've just uh, heard from the others. But uh, uh, and, and with the, the sex thing, I tend to put a little bit in and then the publisher takes it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they say, now can we tone down that? Can we tone down? We can't do that. It's YA book. And I, I go, that. That, that, but that gives me uh, it gives me some freedom <laughs> because I can actually write a little bit higher than I expect they'll allow, and and they are knowing that they'll bring me back. But look, I do think it's a different headspace. It's certainly a different headspace from the junior fiction books that I mm. write, and uh, and it's not the same writing for adults. I don't know that I'm capable. I don't think I'm intelligent enough to write for adults. But the, the headspace of a young adult is a little bit simpler, the slightly simpler view of the world. And uh, I seem to connect with that all right. So that, that's my big thing is trying not to write for an adult, but to write mm -hmm. for a teenager with, with that, uh, yeah, like that, that wide open view they have. Yeah, but it's a tricky space, I think. You know, it's a tricky space because they're young adults who, like you said, you know, Glenn tries to take out the sex. I think you just leave it in, love that. Brian, you just put it in, but it gets taken out. So it's a tricky space, isn't it, in which to work in because they're young adults, but you still need to consider that they are, you know, they're young adults, they're not adults yet. So love that. Just I love your microphone we, too, Brian. Just before What's we dive into debt. Sorry. I was just admiring your microphone. <laughs> Carry on, Craig. I'm just a tech nerd. <laughs> Before we dive into Dez's answer on that, I'd just like to push back slightly on what Brian said because as someone who reads a lot of adult crime fiction as well as some YA and stuff, I'm just hugely admiring of children's and young adult authors. I yes. think it's more difficult yep. to write for kids and young adults than adults. And I know that Brian's being a little self-deprecating, but these people on screen here are bloody geniuses. They write amazing books. They get kids engaged in reading, which is so vital throughout life, not just for entertainment, for everything else. Yeah. I've got a six-year-old trying to get her into reading at the moment. You guys are bloody heroes. Yeah, absolutely. And why is really tricky? Because as we know, you know, kids, they read really well in junior feet, but once they get to YA, they're dropping off because, I don't know, they're probably doing other things, but it's, it's, it's a space where they start dropping off and they're reading. Yeah, TikTok, yeah. TikTok. So it's really, it's, it's absolutely admirable that you guys are doing that, totally. Now, Des, I'm so glad you've been able to join and the question that I was asking, you know, what do you can, need to consider or what do you do differently, if you do anything differently at all, when writing in this genre for kids and young people, what changes, if anything? I don't think anything changes. I, uh, I just go ahead and try and make it as exciting as I possibly can and have plenty of action. Uh, 
But um, no, I haven't found a lot of difference between this and my other stories. That's good. I love that. I love that a lot. And um, well, we're about to get to that very exciting moment. We have a video from Coral Smith, a school librarian and NIO judge. Um, and she's about to announce the winner. So this is a very exciting moment. Craig, are you ready to crack with this? Just give me one second here while well, my computer decides to early <laughs> morning here in London here. We're bouncing from uh, London to Sydney to yeah, <laughs> you guys New Zealand are. where Coral was. Yeah, um, but world. I just would like to say, as as the founder of the NIOS, before we dive into who who the winner yeah. is this year, I would just really like to say congratulations to all our finalists this year and all the brilliant YA authors we've had in the past. In the past, our YA authors have had to enter best novel or best first novel, depending if they were a debut or not. And they've been kind of, some of them have done very well. Brian's been longlisted before, Ella West has been longlisted before and others. And our hand was just forced this year. We had so much amazing <laughs> YA fiction and we just felt we really had to have a separate award. We've toyed with it before, but it's thanks to these four authors and a handful of others who are deeply in consideration as well that kind of went, we've got to do it this year. We didn't want to do it this year. We already had three awards. We wanted to offset it with the best true crime, but we had to do it this year because these books were so good and any of them would be deserving winners. I've talked to all the judges and they're like, any of them, any yeah, of them could absolutely. have been our first ever winner in this award and it would have stood the test of time when people looked back. There are four brilliant books. Go buy all of them. Buy them for kids. Buy them for kids. <laughs> Get them to the crime preppers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do make this. sure I've got the right video here. <laughs> so, and here we go, guys. Congratulations to you all. Thank you very much. Hello, I am Carl Smith, the librarian at Waimea Intermediate School. I am honored to be part of the Jemmy Troop panel this year and have been asked to present the category tonight. School libraries remain one of the main places children and young adults can explore, read, promoting connection, creativity, understanding, and kindness to the world around them and to the people in there. This is demonstrated by one of the finalists tonight. I can never find their book on the shelf as it's always in someone's hands exploring the story held within its pages. I love being able to interact, question and talk with my students every day on what they are reading and how I can help them find their next book. There is nothing better than seeing a child smile and race to the library to share their thoughts on the book they just read. Any of this year's finalists would be worthy of winning the first ever Naya March Award honoring storytelling for young readers. In no particular order, the finalists are A Trio of Selfies by Eileen Merriman, a brilliant novel that plays with structure and ideals coming with age, envy, and effects of the student-teacher relationship. Glenn Wood delights with Deadhead, an excellent YA romp that's full of action, intrigue, great themes, and some wonderful graphic images. Catapo Joe, Let's Craig, by Brian Faulkner, is a ripping World War II thriller and fantastic read that explores questions of loyalty, nationalism, and the loss of youth. And finally, in Red Edge, Des Hunt delivers adventure, intrigue, and a fascinating tale of wildlife smuggling and the trauma of the Christchurch earthquakes. And the winner of the 2021 Niall Marsh Award for Best Children's YA Book is... Catapojo, Wits Creek by Brian Faulkner. Congratulations to Brian and to all our terrific finalists. Thanks for the great reads. Wow, congratulations. 
Well, thank you. Well, wow, that's incredible. If I thought I had a chance, I probably would have prepared something to say. But uh, in the company that I, I was in, I really didn't think I was going to have a chance for this one. But that is fantastic. Uh, I am I'm over the moon. I'm. Uh, this is really exciting for me. Uh, you know, to be the inaugural winner of the YA Naomi Marsh Awards is, is a fantastic thing. Uh, I do want to congratulate. I haven't. I can't. Must, but I haven't read all the the finalist books. I of course have read Glenn's book because as I was saying to him earlier I'm the only con only finalist with my name on the front cover of two of the books <laughs> because my name is on the front of Glenn's book as well um, I'm now looking forward to reading your book Des and yours Eileen because I'm I really am uh, think that that'll be a really exciting read for me to uh, you know if they've made it into the NIOs you know they're going to be really good so um, yeah I wish I'd prepared something I didn't but thank you very much to uh, thanks to the Academy and uh, thanks to my <laughs> wife and uh, <laughs> And uh, congratulations to all the contestants. Thank you so much, Brian. And you're absolutely all winners, just like you said, because you, you've written some great books and, um, and made it to the finals. So thank you, Brian. And thank you, all of you, for writing magnificent books to get our young people involved in reading and into this wonderful genre, which I know Craig and I have a deep love for. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And congratulations to all of you and congratulations to Brian. Thank right. you. We'll see you later. Thanks very much. Look forward to reading Thank all of you. them. Congratulations, Brian. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, Bye for now. Well, that was exciting, Craig. The inaugural yeah. award, like that was really cool, and I can't wait to read all four of those books because I think they're amazing. Yeah, I'm not um, quite sure why the uh, sounds not working. I might have been because I had my headphones and then pulled them out. I think that's I okay. I'll, something out. So. I'll do the sharing. All right, you do the talking. I'll do the sharing. I know you yeah. have no problem doing the talking, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I do like that Brian called us the Academy rather than the Hollywood Foreign <laughs> Press. <laughs> we're looking at now uh, the non-fiction. So we're looking to have uh, Jared Savage, James Borrowdale, Bruce Howard, Martin Van Banen, and Mark Darby on screen. And it looks like... Um, so you can't hear them. We have no, them I, no, but they don't want me to hear them. Can you please put yourself on mute? Oh, they'll they'll speak speak out and no, they'll just yeah, We've got some people on... Uh, Are you on mute? Yeah. Please be on mute if you're talking in the background. That's all right. It's not a Zoom meeting unless someone isn't on mute. Yeah, <laughs> or is on mute when they don't want to be on mute. I'll, right? I'll put your video on and have your your partner walk so through the background. Uploads, you know, that's pretty standard for Zoom. I'm just going to find out. Um, yeah, it's Chris and Kim. Can you hit me up there? Yeah, 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 I'm coming. It's coming up now. Yeah. Chris and Kim, can you please uh, go on mute? And Jared, you need to turn yours on. Chris and Kim, please go on mute. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, let's get cracking with this one, Craig. This is uh, panel two, and uh, we're going to be talking about nonfiction. So this is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, this is our biennial award that we began in 2017. It's been won in the past by Michael Bennett and Kelly Dennett. Um, so unfortunately, we don't have any in it rhyming finalists this year because we really would have liked to have continued 
that. <laughs> but uh, we do what we do have is five amazing books, including Mr. Jared Savage, who's hopefully going to put his video on soon. But I think <laughs> that's cool. So, I'm trying. Sorry. I'm trying. Yeah, technical problems. It's not like he's a journalist, who, you know, who uses technology all the time or anything like that. It's very mysterious, <laughs> Craig. I think it works. Yes, I think it works. He, he's, he writes under a pseudonym. He just pretends to be a journalist. <laughs> but no, we've got five absolutely cracking finalists here. You gave our judges, which are an international panel. We've got UK and New Zealand and other kind of judges judging these non-fiction books, which is really interesting because obviously the UK judges aren't as familiar with some of the cases or incidents or events involved in these books as New Zealanders would be. So it's really interesting to get that perspective. But no, five absolutely cracking reads. Gave our judges fits in terms of just enjoying them all and trying to pick finalists and then a winner. But I wanted to chat to the gents today. Um, about kind of what was the impetus that drove each of you to write your book? If you could give us a little a snapshot of, of what it was that drove you to write this book at this time. And perhaps, James, we want to start with you. What made you want to kind of give us a history of cannabis in New Zealand? It's a fascinating book. So. Sure. Oh, thank you very much. Um, uh, well, obviously, the obvious answer is the referendum was, was coming up. Um, and so it seemed a really opportune time, obviously, to to look back and consider uh, consider New Zealand's relationship with cannabis over the centuries, centuries, and um, and yeah, just just think about how, how how the cultural frames of this country had contributed to that relationship, and and how cannabis had changed us, and how we had changed it. Um, yeah, it was. But the short answer is certainly the referendum. Yeah, I mean, it was very timely, but obviously it's an evergreen book, no pun intended, <laughs> it's an evergreen book, and there, there, there's so much throughout New Zealand history, some fascinating stories about our relationship mm. with something that is potentially less lethal and problematic than alcohol, but is not legal compared to alcohol, so there's a whole lot of interesting, fascinating issues and stories there. Mark, you've given us kind of a biography, but it's a biography not of a person, but a place, and a particularly notorious New Zealand place, Mount Eden Prison. So what drove you to write this book? couple of things, Craig. Uh, oh, hang on. No, you're good. No, you were on. Now you're on. Okay. <laughs> you were good. fine. Okay. <laughs> um, look, um, a couple of things. I'd written earlier books about people who had happened to be in Mount Eden for for part of their lives, Rua Kenana, for example. And so I had their prison records at, uh, and that um, that gave me a head start. The other thing is that I discovered that the prison had been closed. It had been standing there empty, vacant, unused for the better part of 10 years by the time I started writing the book. That came as a surprise to me. It came as a surprise to a lot of my friends who drove past it every day on the motorway. Uh, and so, it gave me a cutoff point for the story, right? I can take it up to the point that it closed. That's always helpful. Uh, but I suppose, and the third thing is that as I looked into it, I uh, it began to seem to me that I could write a kind of strange social history of New Zealand from the underside by talking about the people that had been held in Mount Eden and the way they'd been treated. You know, this was the uh, uh, a history that of the bits that other histories leave out. And that's, uh, that seemed to me really worth worth the effort. So that, that's what got me started. Yeah, it's a really brilliant book. Like our judges absolutely loved it. It's fantastic. And just, yeah, so much fascinating history, that social history, as you say. And Bruce, you've given us a different kind of history 
Uh, whereas kind of Mark and James have looked at a very macro big picture for the entire country or a place that affects the entire country. You've given us a very important vital universal story, but very own story from being a police officer, leaving the police after you were violently attacked, finding another life afterwards, but also dealing with the ongoing trauma of what had happened to you while you were a cop. And what was it that made you want to write this story and share the story now? It's been a work in progress for many years. It's actually started in my head when I took my own father's funeral and I realised that there's huge chunks of my life that my children uh, know nothing about. So that's what gave me the impetus to write it. Uh, and in fairness, it was um, under therapy for PTSD that the counsellor, the psychologist said, you need to write your stories down because it'll actually help you come to terms with your PTSD. So, and, and he was quite adamant I needed to take it public when I started to talk in my sessions about what my stories were. So the book wasn't all the stories because it would have, I, in my opinion, would have got boring, but <laughs> I, I chose what I thought were the better stories and gave a cross-section. I love that, Craig, and I especially love how, especially this genre can be so cathartic. You know, we talk about crime all the time and, and people, you know, they say, what is it about, you know, non-fiction or fiction or crime? And it's because it explores so much of humanity. So I love that, you know, that, that hopefully worked, helped you work through those. I love that about this genre. Yeah, I mean, we were absolutely delighted to receive Bruce's book as an entry. Um, some of the other books were from larger publishers and we were aware of them throughout last year or the year before when they came out. And Bruce's was like a brilliant, delightful surprise from a smaller publisher. And I highly recommend people dig it out. It's got some really interesting stuff about dealing with trauma and dealing with things that happen during life. And it's a great read. Um, now, turning now to Jared, AKA the man in black, we'll call him Johnny Cash <laughs> for the rest of the evening. But, <laughs> Jared, you, you write a lot, obviously. You're a journalist for the New Zealand Herald, so you write a lot about a lot of things, but particularly crime. What made you want to write Gangland as a book? And what made this story larger than some of the kind of journalism that you've done in the past? Yeah, hey, look, I apologise. I can't get my camera working. But, um, <laughs> look, it was, like, so I'd sort of been covering organised crime for the Herald sort of on and off over about 10 years and just covering some of the big cases that came up. And they, they'd always really fascinated me because they, they're great stories that almost tell themselves. Um, but towards the sort of end of 2020, um, uh, Alex from HarperCollins gave me a call and said, oh, would, you know, there, there was a lot of organised crime and gangs in the news, you know, the, the arrival of the 501s from Australia and there was a lot of violence and things going on. And, and oh, is, is there a book here? And I said, well, there probably is, but um, there's probably not one story that can tell it. But if, if we do a collection of of stories that tell a different step, we can you know, a different sort of step in the evolution of organised crime here in New Zealand. Um, we can tell a, a larger story, and, and that's what was really motivating for me was not just doing a one-off story that you know, you, if you're lucky, you might get three thousand words in the Weekend Herald, but having the ability to um, just go back and explore some of these old cases, talk to different contacts, and dig up some court records and allow the stories to breathe with, with details that, you know, would never make it into a newspaper story was really appealing to me. But, but also, in a, in a way, um, I've, I've felt that it turned into a slightly modern history, I suppose, of, of organised crime here. And um, that was something that I really wanted to, to show people was, you know, there's quite a big issue under the surface, which you might not, might not realise. 
Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting book. And uh, again, yeah, judges are just flying away, both the judges in New Zealand and those overseas, kind of learning these things about New Zealand. As one of our British judges says, he goes, it certainly gives you a different idea of New Zealand compared to the, the paradise image they often get in the British newspapers and things like that. Now, Martin is another journalist like Jared in the South Island, and you've showcased a case that a lot of New Zealanders may feel they know something or even quite a lot about. And you also had an award-winning podcast with the same name, Black Hands, about this case that's been watched by millions of people around the world. But am I right that the podcast was actually based on an early manuscript of this book? Then you put the podcast out and then you kind of updated the story with the book. And what has been, beyond the obvious, what has been so fascinating about this case that made you want to write a book. I mean, there's been so much written about this case over the years already. And what what is it for you that just made you want to kind of go into this? Well, uh, there was a lot that was unwritten about the case, Craig, and uh, there, was, there was a lot to catch up on in terms of telling the public um, because it was one of the, you know, it's been a, a real saga that went on for decades and um, so one of the one of the um, reasons I wrote the book was to, to just sort of really catch up with everything that had happened, but also the main impetus, I guess, was the fact that I did the I covered the two thousand and nine trial, and um, as a journalist, and then I thought, well, um, such a tremendous story, and also the, the thing that fascinated me most about the the main case was the fact that it divided the country. Everyone thought they knew the answer. And so I, I, um, I had my own views and I thought I should put those out there. But also I, I, try, I really tried to put all the information out there with all the new stuff. I had, I had quite a lot of new stuff in the book. The podcast never won an award, actually. So, um, but, sure. but the podcast... Doesn't the mean podcast, it's not a good podcast. The podcast was... Um, the podcast was based on the unpublished manuscript. Fascinating. These, these, yeah, these uh, stories are so fascinating. And again, this was a really interesting one for me because it's a case that I'm quite familiar with growing up in the South Island relatives in Dunedin was at law school when some of it was happening and stuff like that. But then I, we had judges in the UK who hadn't really heard anything about it. And both the New Zealand judges and the UK judges really appreciated the story in different ways, being whether they were familiar with it or not. But um, I'd love to talk to you all. I'd love to do like a half hour or hour long like session with you all. Let's do it, Craig. Let's do some takeovers for the Words and Nerds podcast later on. We'll do Words and Nerds takeover with all five of you. Absolutely. You can talk for as long as you like. There's so much we're going to delve into, but I think now we better let everyone watching and you fine gentlemen kind of off the hook a little bit and five brilliant books. Any would be a deserving winner again, but... We have to make a choice. We're not the Booker Prize. We actually make choices. We, <laughs> you go. we ready to rock, Craig? Ready to go. Kia ora, tēnā koutou kurua. Kua hui, my name. Good evening, everyone. My name's Scott Bainbridge, and I'm one of the judges for this year's Diane Marsh Awards, judging in the true crime category. And tonight, it's my pleasure to announce the winner. The Nino Marshall Awards came into being in 2010, but the category for true crime didn't, wasn't established in 2017. I've been involved in three of these, um, twice as a judge and once as a finalist. 
Part of the interest in writing true crime for me isn't just telling a story, but it's hoping that your writing will make a difference. I grew up in the 1970s and I read David Yellips Beyond Reasonable Doubt and reading how that was a catalyst in the pardoning of Arthur Allen Thomas. And also Pat Booth's Mr. Asia Files, which exposed that drug syndicate to a conservative and naive New Zealand public. My own books led to several cold cases being reopened, and the inaugural winner for the Naya Marsh Awards in True Crime, Michael Bennett's book In Dark Places, told the story of the miscarriage of justice with the Tina Pora conviction and his redemption. So true crime does have a place. This year's finalists gave us lots to chew over, with a really interesting and diverse range of subjects and some great storytelling. So I'll just go through them. Weeds by James Borrowdale is a well-researched and engaging exploration of the history of cannabis in New Zealand, almost poetic in its writing. Mark Derby's Rock College is a painstakingly researched biography of the prison with a wealth of fascinating stories about Mount Eden. In From Dog Collar to Dog Collar, Bruce Howard gives us a sobering account of his career cop, his life being changed by violence in a brave expose into PTSD. Gangland by Jared Savage is an eye-opening disturbing investigation into the workings of the modern-day underground. Martin Van Vanen's Black Hands offers an in-depth, thoughtful, heavily constructed account of one of New Zealand's most infamous crimes. So, the winner of the 2021 Naira Marsh Award for Best Nonfiction. Lake Hands by Martin Van Bainen. Congratulations, Martin. And um, I hope you guys have a good evening and well done too to all of the other finalists. And um, carry on with the writing. Have a good night. Cheers. Amazing. And I hope some of you at home are having a drink with uh, drink as well, joining him in that. So, congratulations. Would you like to say a few words? Uh, yes, I would. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm totally gobsmacked. Um, I didn't think I had a chance with all that fine, all those fine other contenders. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm very grateful to the organisers of this event and also to Penguin for um, putting their faith in me. Um, yeah, it's just a tremendous, tremendous award. I can't believe it. But um, yeah. Congratulations to all the other um, finalists and, um, well, uh, yeah, what a good night. Well done. And I just want to read some funny comments here. Uh, they said the mysterious case of Jared Savage, the missing author, and it's weird listening to the disembodied voice of Savage. So thank you, Steve Race, for watching and for your funny comments. <laughs> And thank you so much to all of you, five wonderful books. I hope you'll all give us new books in future. I mean, I have, I was chatting to Scott, our one of our judges before, and we we're talking about all these other New Zealand cases we'd love to see a really good book about. So hopefully you guys will um, write some of those in future and delve into many of the 
of the issues that our country is facing, both in terms of individual cases and broader social and criminal justice issues. But thank you so much for joining us. As Danny says, I would love to do a podcast with all of us later. That's a lot. Make it happen. So much to delve into. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Right, thank you so much, and congratulations to you all. Um, while, while everyone's leaving and we start the, the panel three, Craig, I'll just read a couple of the comments from Facebook who are watching live because they're quite funny. Alan Carter says, is there an award for best background bookshelf, which I think that should be an award <laughs> next year. I think that's great. Um, everyone's saying they're loving the view of everyone's bookcases. Nice to put faces to name. And then someone says, feed working fine, but I've run out of wine. So, Stephen, I hope you've solved that problem. So <laughs> there's plenty with us watching tonight and uh, cheering you all on and hopefully going to grab your books now. So thank you so much, everyone. And we're going to welcome the um, debut authors on now. So thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. So now we're, we're welcoming to the virtual stage, Craig, the virtual stage. We're welcoming Kim Hunt, Rose Carlisle, Karina Kilmore, Chris Stewart and Alan Titchell. So I can see them all beautifully appearing on the stage. So that's fantastic. Our virtual stage. <laughs> Welcome. So Chris and Kim, there we go. And Kim, if you want to turn your video and audio on as well. Beautiful. Brilliant. So lovely Thank to have you. Yeah, look, you know, considering how much Craig and I talk, we're only five minutes over, so I reckon we're doing pretty well. <laughs> we gave each other permission to, you know, do that Loki sound when, you know, the, the, you come on and you talk too long, we have to drown each other out. But we're doing well, Craig, doing well. But thank you so much for joining us and congratulations for making it to the finalists. I mean, Winner, I mean, the debut, just to be here, you know, the first book you've written, you end up here. It's, it's amazing. So congratulations to you all. I think it's such a great effort. I often hear, and this is the question I'm going to ask you, I often hear the second book or the third book is the really hard one because there's so much expectation after your first one. But I'm wondering, you know, what are the challenges, but what are the freedoms of writing a first novel? Because often there, there is no expectation because you haven't written one before. So Karina, can I start with you? What are the advantages and pitfalls of writing that very first novel? I think the first one, you're absolutely fearless. So you just go for it. And I know that I, I had a real, you know, I was working full time and I was fitting in this writing as, a, as like a hobby and um, sitting up at night and I just power through the words. And then you did, I never reread what I wrote. I, you know, I didn't care what anyone thought. I just wrote. It was like <laughs> right with the wind, you so know. The freedom, the freedom. Yeah. I wonder, and I hope this is true, but I wonder if you feel that freedom with your second book. I hope you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so congratulations for being here. I can see your book in the background and um, wonderful. I love, I actually, this is, I love all the panels, but I just find the debut one really, really special because you write this book and you don't know if anyone's going to like it or publish it, and then they do, and then you end up here. Like, I just find that so special, so I love this category. Uh, Rose, what about you? Is there freedom or fear in writing the first novel or both? <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't realise it when you're writing it, but, of course, when you're writing your second novel, you're still very busy with your first novel with all of the publicity and um, commitments that go with, you know, coming out and actually being published so it's quite strange that when you're doing that publicity you're trying to get your head into a different novel <laughs> yeah. enthusiastically about your heroine of your last novel and while you're keeping to yourself how you feel about the characters in your in your next novel so it is quite yeah. a strange thing and then I think it probably just gets harder after that as you carry on 
Mm. carrying all these novels in your head at once and I imagine the other strange thing is you know writing is a very isolating job and so you're isolated you're writing you might have a writer's group or some people looking at your work and then all of a sudden you're out there publicity having to be everywhere and talk about this thing that you've just been between you and your laptop (laughs) so that's an odd thing too isn't it well actually right now I am in isolation but it's it's kind of because we've had yeah. uh, COVID in our family, which is a huge oh, job. Wow. But um, isolation actually means that I've got uh, four young people in my house and it's quite a small house. So isolation is really the wrong word for it. They're, right now they're making a film while mm-hmm. I sit mm-hmm. in a corner yeah. with my box. I understand. Well, you've been very quiet. So well done to them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they're probably recording me on their film right now. So. Uh, maybe they're doing a mime. <laughs> now, Chris, congratulations. Tell me about the fear and the, the, the freedom in writing a debut novel. I think the fear comes into when you want to tell a story and you and you really, really want people to understand why you've written it. Mm-hmm. Because but my background was, you know, humanitarian and terrorism and the ambiguity of when... Um, someone is killed, whether that's actually murder or in what context that takes mm-hmm. place. So I think your first book, you really want to get it, you really want to get that shot right. Because if you don't, then I think that you th- you probably wouldn't do a second one. I think I'd probably feel a bit of a failure. So, um, yeah, I don't think I had so much freedom. I, f- I felt that I really was quite tied to the story mm-hmm. in many ways. It's really interesting, isn't it, that experience? I imagine it's very individual, the experience um, of writing first novel. And I'll be very interested, and hopefully I will get to speak to you again um, when you're into your second and see, you know, how that is a different feeling. Alan, what about you? Fear and freedom writing a debut novel? Mm, yes. There, there's no book out there that can actually tell you how to do it. So you, <laughs> no. it's, it's, a, it's a matter of learning and thumbing along and, and I learned so much about publishing, even though I've been in publishing all my life. I've never been in book publishing. So I learned a lot. And um, the, the first book, I always had in mind two books. So uh, one was set in the, all the characters of the children. The second book is when they're adults. But it's a lot easier to write about children because the adults are actually talking at them. When, those, when they become adults, they're talking with each other. And it's a little bit more complicated. It's taken a lot longer than I thought. Mm, wonderful, lovely answer I like. And I just love delving into process because they're all so different. And like you said, Alan, there's no right way to do it, unfortunately. You have to forge your own way and find your own way. And you know, it seems as though you've done a magnificent job being here as debut authors. Kim, what about you? Freedom and fear in writing your first debut novel. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking as everyone was speaking then that um, mine sort of doesn't follow exactly police procedural kind of tropes, although there are elements of that in there. They're, my protagonist is a kind of amateur sleuth, a bit of a, a wayward one. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of freedom because I guess I got away with a lot of things that maybe typically if I was being a bit more strictly <laughs> following, you know, what's expected of crime novels, I wouldn't necessarily have got away with. But um, yeah, it's just lovely to be here with you all. Mm-hmm. I loved all of the books, you know. 
Yeah. And isn't that wonderful about crime? Yeah. Like it is such a huge genre, yeah. you know, that you can, you don't have to fall into any of those, you know, genre, particular things about the genre. You can, you can work it and you can change it. And I love about crime that it explores so much and reflects so much about society and humanity. So I've talked to so many people about why crime is so important, I think, because it reflects society so much. And I'm so excited for all of you here as debut authors. And I'm even more excited because one of my favourite people, RWR McDonald, is actually presenting this. We've got a live recording oh. of RWR and he's going to announce the winner because he was um, last year's winner. Is that right, Craig? Yeah, Rob, Rob won last year. Um, we actually had a live event in Christchurch last year, which was wonderful, but Rob couldn't attend because he was in the Melbourne lockdown at the time. So, but next uh, year, Craig, next he's, year. He's already done this online thing once. But, uh, next yeah, year we're going to be there live. Yeah, congratulations to all the finalists you gave our judges so much to talk about and they did there was some very diverse opinions but it was all because they loved so many of your books it was very hard to choose a winner and there were some very different opinions they also really loved some of the other entrants that didn't make the finalists to the point where I got asked can we have seven finalists and I was like no no we're gonna have to make a hard decision here so you've all done wonderfully from different kinds of police procedurals psychological thrillers historicals and like amateur sleuth well i guess a journalist's not really an amateur sleuth but it, you know there's there's so many great books and yeah. i highly recommend them all. Hoping, to see, hoping to see more from all of you i would just like to point out before we dive in that two of our finalists in best novel this year are past finalists of winners of the best first novel award with wow. and Mickey. so i hope to see all of you in the best novel categories in future Absolutely. years. Absolutely. It looks like, Craig, you're doing a lot of takeovers too after this. So let's, let's see RWR. We love Rob. There are all the beautiful books. They look great. Kia ora. My name is RWR McDonald, and I was last year's best first novel winner for the Naya Marsh Awards. And it's my absolute pleasure uh, to be able to announce tonight's winner best first novel. I know what it feels like, so I promise you I won't drone on. <laughs> uh, this time last year, I was in Melbourne lockdown. I was watching the awards show on my phone and had no idea that the Nancy's was going to win. Uh, so much so that I went watching it uh, through the KFC drive-thru <laughs> and came home with my original box uh, and just sat down as the Nazis was announced the winner. <laughs> I uh, love you, It's Rob. been a fantastic year. I'm really excited for the winner for 2021 um, and just incredibly grateful to be part of this legacy, which is the Naya Marshall Awards. So without further ado, I will get on with it. So this year's finalists for the Naya Marshall Award for Best First Novel are a great showcase of the fresh blood that's continually enriching our year noir genre. Smooth and stylish, The Girl in the Mirror by Rose Carlyle is a thrilling tale of sibling rivalry taken to the max. Kim Hunt's cleverly plotted and richly descriptive The Beautiful Dead offers a confident, refreshingly take on police procedures. With its convincing setting and engaging, fallible heroine, Where the Truth Lies by Karina Kilmore, drops readers into a fight of truth versus power. For Reasons of Their Own by Chris Stewart offers mystery, writing, and characters that cry out for an ongoing series. 
Alan Titchell's While the Fantail Lives is an unusual, beautifully written historical thriller set against the backdrop of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the winner for the 2021 Naya Marshall Award for Best is... Oh, Rob, leaving us in suspense. <laughs> for Reasons of Their Own by Chris Stewart. Congratulations. Oh, wow. Look at your face. Please turn yourself off mute and give us some words. I love her face. It's beautiful. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I saw you turn around and tell someone in your house and your face was just beautiful. <laughs> tell us how you're feeling right now, Chris. Oh, I, I'm, I'm in such illustrious company with my peers <laughs> that um, in awe of them, let alone... Um, being announced as the winner my goodness <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled and and grateful and excited and uh wow thank you <laughs> your reaction was the best Chris I really really loved that <laughs> but well done to you all to be here as Daddy authors like I said congratulations Chris oh, Karina, thank you I hope to get over to Melbourne sometime thank Please. you Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Rose. And congratulations, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. I can't wait to get stuck into your books. Apparently, Craig's doing takeovers for everyone. He's going to be very busy, so he might leave. Apparently, Danny is organising me to take over everyone. Exactly. But thank you so much. Congratulations to all of you, and congratulations to you, Chris. Your response is still my favourite of the night. It was glorious. <laughs> thank you. Enjoy Good night. Your night. in the idea of how kids at a certain age you know around that kind of 11 12 year olds 
the, the events that happen to them are really formative in their lives and, and shape who they are as people. So my, my central character, Kate, she has this traumatic car accident at the start and then her life is, goes on a completely 90 degree angle to how she would have gone. And I just really want to kind of explore, explore that um, was my main area of interest. Fantastic. And for you, Nikki, what was it? I mean, you, you've brought your character Miller Hatcher back in this book and gone back to small town Waikato. But what was it that you wanted to explore? Because there's lots of things going on with true crime and other things. Yeah, I, I wanted to. Um, I actually watched David Barrier's Dark Tourist, where he uh, uh, went on a Jeffrey Dahmer true crime tour. And it was all a little bit uh, disturbing. But I know people love that kind of true crime stuff. But I kind of got the idea to look at um, the kind of so-called celebrity or infamy that society and media put on uh, the offender. And we kind of end up learning more about the, the violent offender than the victim. So, yeah, that's kind of what started the murder club. And... Bran, I mean, you've written a gut punch of a novel that's kind of been enjoyed by people, you know, crime lovers, but also literary fiction and others have all talked about it in various ways. It explores some pretty raw issues um, that are in our society. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, what was the issue that really drove you for this? So. Um, I mean, I've always been interested in, in the way things are dealt with structurally. And um, so with Spriggs, I chose a crime and looked at the way structurally that gets perpetuated or um, the way institutions can circle the wagons to um, avoid kind of dealing with the crime uh, and essentially the way that kind of manifests itself and keeps kind of happening over and over again. And so that was a real focus for me, just looking at structure. And so that's why I had so many characters, so many um, situations kind of all play in, uh, in response to this one specific incident. Yeah, it's a real kind of ripples on the pond. And, and I, I kind of described it to a friend at Bloody Scotland as like a 360 degree look at crime, because it wasn't just the investigation or the detection, it was the family and the fallout in the schools and the community and everything all around, which is really genius. Um, now, Charity, for you, you, you're kind of based in New Zealand, but you set your book in London at a hostage situation in London. What was the driving impetus for that story? I was going to write a completely different story, and I was sitting in a cafe with a friend telling her about a different story. Um, and then we got talking about the Napier siege. I lived in, lived in Napier for some years. And while I was living there, um, the Napier siege took place, which some of you will remember, I think uh, 2000, about 2012, I think, um, when um, a gunman went, you know, went on the loose and they, um, the SWAT teams were called in and it was all very dramatic. So I was telling her about this. And as I looked around the cafe, it occurred to me, that um, I didn't know what any of the people around me were thinking. And uh, what, in the Napier siege, I had actually known the gunman. I'd met him, he'd lived in the house next door to the one we owned, and we hadn't, hadn't seen it coming, you know. So you know, I began to think about that, who is the person in the queue next to you? Who is the person buying the coffee? Who is the person behind the coffee machine? Um, you know, what motivates a gunman? And, and how would we all behave if we were all locked in here all day together with uh, somebody rampaging around with a shotgun so um, that was the idea and from then it simply sort of grew into this group of characters who interacted with each other 
Fantastic. And just to include JP in this as well, I've spoken to him in the past about his book, Tell Me Lies, and some of his other fiction. And my understanding is that he was kind of provoked by the relationship between psychologists and their clients and how mm. that can get quite messy at times and all the all the ethical things that can entwine in that. And he obviously took it times 100 with the story, with everything yeah. going wrong. But that was kind of where the impetus for that came. I didn't tell Danny this. I'm actually going to ask you all the second question. We're just going to work around one more time. Sorry, <laughs> Danny. I would have said no. Said, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll be okay. You can, all, you can all give me a brief answer if you like. But I was really curious about how you balance some of these important real-life issues that you discussed, because these could be discussed in a, in a newspaper article, long-form journalism, non-fiction book, a podcast. There's a lot of different ways we could explore some of these issues you're exploring. But when you're writing them in a novel, how do you balance kind of addressing and exploring and examining these issues with crafting a page-turning story? And it's kind of a, a balancing act. Are you conscious of it while you do it, or does it just kind of come naturally? And Carl, perhaps you want to lead us off with that. Yes, uh, I would. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Great. Uh, good start. Um, yeah, so... Um, it, when I was writing the book, um, I, yeah, I was interested in the themes, but I was really also aware that I wanted to write something that was a bit of a page turner. Um, and I, I did that, but as I wrote, I was at the same time I was doing a screenplay and screenplays are really, really different, but they're, they're, they come in little chunks. So I think the screenplay experience kind of bleed through into the novel because if you've read the novel, which hopefully you have, um, then it's, it, it's just kind of in little chunks and it gives you these time gaps as well. That it jumps around in time between 1978 and 2010 and it jumps back to the 80s and it's kind of all over the place. But I deliberately structured it like that so that it would create um, an impetus at the end of every little section to try and move forward all the time. So it was an exercise in structure as much as in theme for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, it's a, it's a brilliant book. And good news for any of our British viewers who are watching this over breakfast is that the telly stick will be out over here in the UK early next year. So you definitely want to get yourself a copy of that when it's out over here. And um, Bran. For you, you have some big issues as well. How did you balance that with creating kind of a narrative drive in your story as well? Because it'd be easy to get bogged down in some of those things. So. Yeah, I mean, I did it quite deliberately with part three of the book, which is kind of the investigation side of the, the incident, um, yes. where I really tried to create some pace and really tried to have the kind of ripple and ripple effect and repercussions kind of build, build and build and build. Um, but I also wanted to undercut it. Um, I kind of didn't want a rape narrative to be entertaining. I wanted to kind of the way the prurient sense of, of these sort of narratives get played out. I wanted that to build and then just completely undercut it with part four. Um, so I, I was kind of aware of what I, uh, of the, of building pace and building kind of um, a page turner, but also not wanting it to be entertaining, which is, um, I, I, yeah, it was kind of hard balance. I'm not sure if that kind of played out, but that was definitely something I um, was was conscious of that of, of dealing with something ter uh, terribly awful without it being entertaining. Yeah, that is really important though. Um, good balance though, I think, but such an important thing to take note of. So well done. And Charity, yourself, you know, you dealt with some big issues there as well with the hostage crisis, but potentially, you know, people think it could be various other things going on. Um, and how did you balance that? Because yours is an absolute rip snorter of a read as well. So. 
Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, it's tricky because I, I was concerned at first because um, you're setting a book within four walls, about four walls of a cafe over about 12 hours. So, you know, I was concerned that it, it wouldn't have any, um, any movement to it and any life and energy in bounce. But I was able to intersperse that with the, with the history, of, in particular of the gunman and what had brought him there and what, what, what had been going on in his life. So we, I found very quickly that, that that made it easier for me. So we're within our claustrophobic four walls, but then we, we go out to the farm or we go to Rwanda where one of the um, characters had her history or we go out to you know, the streets where the homeless character was. So uh, I found that that intermeshed with each other. And, and it I'm sure we, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Structuring a novel takes a really long time and a load of thought. It's not, it doesn't happen instantaneously, but uh, it, came, it came together gradually. Fantastic. And, and Nikki, I mean, you, you came into the crime genre appearing uh, like as an audience member at some of our Mystery in the Library events, then wrote your first novel and you're a finalist for that award. Now you're a finalist for the Best Novel Award as well with your third novel and you've got a great psychological thriller coming out later this year through HarperCollins Australia. Congratulations on that. But for you, how, did, how do you kind of balance? Are you aware of these issues when you're writing or are you trying to write a page turning thriller and they just bleed in because these are things that are important to you? Yeah, I think... Um... I try to write a page turner, a whodunit really, um, but there's always a little bit more to it than that. And I think um, when I write, it kind of the book plays out like a movie to me. So I often see scenes and things like that. Um, and pace wise, especially with the murder club, I think I, I think the subplot of Logan and the murder club, for those of you that have um, have read it, kind of helped. Um, uh, with with the main story so I could go one way or the other and I think yeah that ha helped a lot a lot with pacing. Yeah. What Nikki's touching on there is that some of the supporting characters in her book have their families have been victims of crime and that's mm. their drive to be involved in true crime so it's not just kind of a fascination with true crime it's trying to understand things that have yeah. happened to their own families in the past as, as well and yeah, so now we're just about there at the evening. Thank you so much for, all, for joining us. I'd love to chat to you longer. I already got an extra question. Daddy's shaking your head at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm wondering how you're going to fit in all these takeovers, Craig. I'm really excited for them for the Words and Nerds <laughs> yeah. podcast. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would just like to say we've got, a, we've got a video here Danny's about to play. Before we dive into it, we've actually got two presenters on the video. The first is Rachel King of Word Christchurch, who are normally the hosts of our events. I'd just like to pay tribute to Word, who've been involved since 2010. Even when there was an earthquake that cancelled their festival, they still did a standalone event for us later in the year. They've been hugely supportive over the entire time. They're also the sponsor, which provides a thousand New Zealand dollars for the winner of this award as well. So thanks hugely to Word for being involved. No matter what's going on in the world, they've been involved with the Nice over the past 12 seasons. And uh, yeah, I'll let you play the video. Let's do it. It's an exciting part. My name is Rachel King and I'm the program director, program co-director actually of Word Christchurch and it's my great pleasure to be here for the presentation of the 2021 Niall Marsh Awards. Uh, Word Christchurch has been with the Niall Marsh Awards since the start so in 2010 we were going to be presenting the very first awards but um, we had a little earthquake, uh, the September earthquake of 2010 um, which was a 7.2 magnitude. Um, it definitely um, destroyed the festival um, along with quite a few buildings. And here we are again 11 years later 
another disaster, this time a pandemic has, uh, well, it took out our August festival, um, but we have postponed it to November the 10th to the 13th. Uh, we're going to be going ahead on a much smaller scale, um, but the good news is that if you're not in Christchurch, you can um, still access the festival via live stream tickets that we're going to be are making available. So you can find out all that information on our website, uh, wordchristchurch.co.nz. Um, I'm really sad that we couldn't do a um, live event this year. So uh, in our biennial festival, we always presented the awards, but then on the off year, we always found inventive ways to, um, to present the awards as well. So we've had everything from debates to um, court jesters doing improv to um, uh, quiz shows and book quizzes uh, and we've had some fantastic guests over the years giving out the awards. We've had Val McDermott and AJ Finn and Denise Minor. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been really fantastic to have the association. So um, I just want to pay a really special tribute to Craig Sisterson and his tenacity and enthusiasm because the awards wouldn't be around without him. Um, he's single-handedly um, run the whole show pretty much. Um, with a little bit of our help, um, but mostly Craig. Um, and I think we can agree that he has also single-handedly elevated crime fiction in New Zealand. He's opened pathways to writers and he's um, also found new audiences for our crime writing. Um, and you can just see by the number of, of uh, entries going up every year um, how successful he's been at making people want to be crime writers so they can enter the Night March Awards. Um, I think that's probably enough for me. Um, I'm really excited to be um, to be associated with uh, this particular prize, the Naya Marsh Award for Best Novel. Word has provided the um, the prize money for this award um, since the beginning, and really, really happy to continue doing so. Um, I have my favourites, um, as do lots of people, I'm sure. But um, of course, it's anybody's guess um, who the award's going to go to on the night. It's always a surprise. So um, thank you very much, Craig, for everything that you do, and good luck to all of the finalists. Two years ago, I had the great good fortune to be with you for the NIO Awards in Christchurch. I should be back in New Zealand right now, but circumstances being what they are, I'm here in Edinburgh rather than being with you guys celebrating the winners of the NIO Awards. And I tell you how much I would love to be there with you because there's plenty to celebrate. It seems to me with every passing year, we get an even richer seam of crime fiction from New Zealand. And as I say, I was, wish I was there to celebrate it with you. I'm going to talk a little bit about the finalists for this year's awards. Um, and I tell you, the judges had plenty to think about. There's a diverse array of styles and subject matter among the crime, mystery, and of course, the thrills. The judges called The Murder Club by Nicky Crutchley, a page-turning mystery with good pace and a great sense of small-town New Zealand. Spriggs by Branavan Nanalingam is a devastating read about a savage crime that raises vital questions about masculinity and sports culture. Exploring an interesting scenario with a deft touch the Tally Stick by Carl Nixon is elegantly structured, a gothic thriller, complex and compelling. Charity Norman's hostage drama, The Secrets of Strangers, is a moving, clever and wonderful novel that has an almost hypnotic effect. Tell Me Lies is a fresh take on unreliable narrators 
that shows J.P. Pomeray has become a polished master of the psychological thriller. And the winner of the 2021 Nio Marsh Award for Best Novel is... Never very good with envelopes. Hold your breath now. Spriggs by Branavan Nanalingam. Congratulations, Branavan. It's your time to celebrate. And congratulations to all the other NIO winners tonight. Um, uh, yeah, um, I actually don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, I, to be honest, I was just stoked to be um, part of the, the shortlist with uh, such amazing writers like like Charity and Nikki and JP and, and Carl. Uh, so just to, yeah, just to be on that was was sufficient for me. So this is, yeah, this is. I, I can hear your fans behind you. <laughs> I had, had some friends come over just for. Um, can we see yeah. them? Come and join us, friends. Come in the background and join us. Um, they're, they're, they were hiding in the lounge, actually. <laughs> um, uh, I just want to pay a huge thanks to, to Craig um, for the amount of uh, effort and organisation and all he does for New Zealand crime writing. Uh, and um, just he, he, whenever he asks me to do an event, I'll always say yes because he's just such a great he's a superstar, the force of nature for for the New Zealand writing. And so uh, stoked to to kind of be part of it. Um, uh, and I have a lot of people. I meet yeah, come into the background. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. What a great celebration! Hello, thank you for joining us. <laughs> I know you're about to have a great time. What's breakfast? Is? <laughs> the best um, friends. <laughs> I mean, I had about three things. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just say thanks to everyone who helped me. There's so many people who helped in this book, and uh, but in particular, I'd like to thank Murdoch uh, and Alita, who were the kind of who supported me right from the start. So we'll go and party. You got people to party with. I'll do that. Do, but thank you to. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you to everyone who's kind of been involved in the awards and to the other writers. Um, I hope everyone reads all of the books. Um, yeah, they will. Um, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Such a huge congratulations. Now go and party with your amazing fan club. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Now, Craig, so many people have thanked you, but I just want to give you a shout out. Your passion for the Naya Awards, the amount of work you've put in. You can sit there humble if you want but you did an incredible amount of work I mean I'm on board just to do the live stream and, and you know, help you out the co-hosting but you just did an incredible amount of work and I know how passionate you are about these awards and about crime fiction in general so big massive shout out to you this uh, will be available on the Facebook live page forever it will also be put out as a podcast when I get a chance to do that so maybe tomorrow <laughs> and if you do love crime uh, words and nerds are celebrating their fourth birthday tomorrow and words and nerds loves crime so there's heaps of crime episodes you can watch there as well as um, Craig and I with some other people did four critics four continents and we've done that two or three times now Craig uh, twice we're planning we we're, were going to try and maybe do six continents at the end yeah. of the year which no is, stopping us I just stupidly enthusiastic about we it, are stupidly enthusiastic. 
I, I just like to say a quick thing at the end. Everyone's been very kind about me, and I know that I'm kind of the face of the knives, but there's a whole lot of people involved. Um, from the very start, we had some wonderful people like Graham Beatty, former Penguin first, um, Penguin Publishing, who was like such a mentor to me in the early days of the awards and made me feel that, you know, I could make this happen. And we've had dozens of judges over the years. We have some pretty big judging panels, up to seven on our international panel for Best Novel. Every year, we've had people like Ursa Sigurdator, the Icelandic crime writer. We've had professors of crime fiction from multiple countries, reviewers from around the world, um, you know, festival kind of founders like uh, Dr. Jackie Collins of Newcastle Noir. Uh, this year, we had judges from New Zealand, Australia, the United States, England, Scotland, and South Africa all involved. And I would name them all, but we need to let everyone go party. So I, I won't do that. I'll thank them in my own time. But libraries across the country, we did 18 events at libraries across New Zealand and Australia this year. Everyone just doing it out of the, their own passion for books. Everyone donating their time, all of us who are organising it. Um, dozens of authors, 70 plus entrants. It was a crazy idea in early 2010. And look where we are now. And we're just getting started. We're a teenager next year. There you go. At least for 13 seasons. Thanks so much for watching. Awesome thanks to Danny. You all rock. Go read some great Kiwi crime books. With lots Absolutely. Of good night. Good morning, wherever you are. Thank you so much for joining us. Go out and read and buy and borrow all those books. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Craig. Arr, everyone.